Hey, Justin. Yes, David. I've come up with a way to save the TV industry. And what is that? A podcast all about TV shows and the people that make them happen. Good. When are we going to start it? Ten seconds ago. This is TV Show and Tell. Hello and welcome to TV Show and Tell, the podcast about the comings and goings of the TV industry. I'm David Bodicum. I'm a TV producer and games consultant from London. And I'm Justin Scroggie, and I'm known internationally as the Format Doctor. And in this week's special episode, we're going to be talking about the major TV market of the calendar year, MIP TV. To help us digest what's happened, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by a special guest who's attended this year's market with Justin. He has more than 20 years of experience in TV editorial development and multi-platform content. He's an international award-winning format creator, and his most recent format, Just One Letter, has had over 100 episodes on Swiss television and has been optioned for the US market. He's now a lecturer at Italian and international universities about format and media issues, as well as prolific author of books about formats and television writing. I first learned about him through his free blog, Friday's Espresso, which I can personally recommend as a way of keeping tabs on the latest formats, markets and trends. We're delighted to welcome Axel Fiaco. Hi, Axel. Ciao. Ciao, everybody. So let's just start off with the basics. So Justin, just for anybody who doesn't know, what actually is MIPCOM? (laughs) MIPCOM calls itself a global market for entertainment content across all platforms, which is a posh way of saying that it's a trade show, uh, which (laughs) like everybody else has a trade show. It takes place in the uh, French Mediterranean town of Cannes uh, in October for three or four days. It's built around the Palais, which is a vast conference centre on the seaside, but it spreads into all the kind of local cafes and beaches and restaurants where we all get fleeced by the locals. And it's primarily a place where distributors sell and broadcasters buy what we call finished programmes. The distributors are also selling formats. So a format is something, is the recipe for a show, as we've discussed many times on this podcast. Then there are creators who are who are at these markets to hawk around paper formats, which are shows that are still an idea, but have been worked out and written down on paper. There are producers looking for production partners. And finally, there are consultants like me, uh, <laughs> sort of like vultures picking at the carcass, um, who are offering to help all of those people do their thing, but obviously much, much better. So, Axel, like, what was your take on this particular market? So, how did it feel? Has have things improved since the pandemic? Yes. First of all, I would point out a curiosity. Maybe not many people knows that the very first market was born in Milan, in Italy, in the nineteen sixteen. It was called Mifed. And just after three years, uh, moved uh, to France. But okay, it was uh, just... <laughs> oh, good for you. You're going to take ownership of it, Axel. That's great. I love it. Yeah. And this particular market was really, really great. And was not obvious, at least not for me. 
because it was so comfortable to have you know online markets and you don't need to travel you don't need to pay but in fact there was according to the organizer almost 11,000 delegates, which is really a high number. I remember that the maximum peak of present in the, in the world story of MIPCOM, it was in uh, 2018, and it was uh, 13,000 uh, present, so quite comparable. More than 3,000 were uh, buyers from more than 100 countries and hundreds of stands. So it was, uh, you know, a, a very big market, but it was a different feeling. Lots of enthusiasm, lots of energy, people really enjoying to shake hands and speak together and have a drink together. Sapiens is really a social animal, so we need this kind <laughs> of uh, live event. You're right. We are a social industry and... Being doing stuff online is fine, but we just need that in-person uh, spark to create new things. Great. Well, we're going to go through the formats that caught your eye, uh, genre by genre. So we're going to kick off with dating. So any particular dating formats that you caught your eye. So is there any new ways of, of remixing the same old ingredients? <laughs> Well, um, the first thing that I noticed was the return of avatars. So we had a few years ago a whole raft of dating formats that used avatars. The particular one that I spotted was called Lovin from uh, JTBC in Korea. You've got eight singletons who move into the love town. But instead of going on dates themselves, they direct an avatar to go on the date for them. They're played by actors. After three days of their avatars going on these dates, people meet in reality without their avatars. And if there's been some spark that's happened between their actors playing them, um, they then see if they can find out if that spark actually exists. How about you, uh, Axel? Another dating show that uses new technology is a, a Japanese form of Love by AI, Artificial Intelligence, you know, a couple of singletons are formed using the, you know, the potentiality of the artificial intelligence. Of course, it's an interesting concept, but in my opinion, in this case, it's a bit an end in itself. It doesn't enter the story itself, so it doesn't have, in my opinion, of course, an impact of the content. But artificial intelligence will enter in the future format more than in the past, for sure. Yes, I mean, like there's been even a company recently set up that's purely uh, going to work on formats yeah. that have been generated or assisted with AI. So, Dream Sparks, Dream Sparks, yeah. Yes, what they're doing there is they're actually, to, to begin with, they're basically using AI intelligence in terms of uh, trends uh, rather than actually generating the ideas. But it's certainly the idea that the AI will, will learn as they go along by analysing all this data, you know, month by month. Um, and ultimately start to uh, suggest <laughs> programs as well. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting with Love by AI generally is it's part of a, another trend we saw at the markets, which was matchmaking by somebody or something else. Things like mini matchmakers, where the 
matching is put in the hands of nine-year-olds who send the adults on dates that they've made up. There was also dating with my mates, which is pretty self-explanatory, and matched by mum, which is also pretty self-explanatory. It's funny because broadcasters are basically saying, please, no more dating shows. And yet the market was saturated by dating shows. And not all so exciting. I really love uh, mini matchmakers because in this case, uh, there is another level of the stories. So it's, uh, it's fun, it's tender, etc. But uh, in other cases, just, you know, some variations, but nothing that has an impact of the story of itself. Yeah, I think the creepiest one is called Love for the Ages. This is an American show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you've basically got three middle-aged couples, okay? And in theory, they're all at a point where they need some spark back into their love life. So the three husbands move into a house with six much, much younger women. And the three wives move into a house with six much, much younger men. And they basically go on a series of dates which particularly highlight their age difference. And ultimately, they choose, each of them choose a, a younger partner. Then it gets even more awkward because they start go on double dates with their, think about this, so I as a man with my younger partner go on a double date with my wife who has got another, their own younger partner. Okay, <laughs> There's a little bit more of elimination and then the remainder of them all move into a house together to increase the awkwardness. And obviously at the end of that, they need to decide whether to recommit to their marriage or to, uh, to, to stick with their younger partner. Reflecting life uh, to a certain extent, but also slightly creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, also the streaming platform use uh, lots of dating because they try to capture the younger targets. They can do more explicit content than uh, linear broadcaster. So they use to put on air more hotter dating uh, of the trend of to how to handle like that. And so, yeah. so it's good for them. <laughs> good for them, good for the viewers. Yeah. <laughs> The last one that I wanted to mention was the real love boat. So, uh, David, you remember we've talked about this trend of mm. shows inspired by movies. So this is yeah. inspired by the 1970s drama Love Boat. Did you used to watch Love Boat? I remember very well, very yeah. well, yeah. David's giving me I'm Wales way too young look. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I... <laughs> I'm, I may have seen repeats. <laughs> yes, right. Like 20 years later. Okay. So anyway, as you can kind of imagine, it's a bunch of people who go on a cruise on a luxury ship looking for love, and they go on dates at the destinations where the ship puts in. The captain and the crew, as per the original drama, also get involved in trying to bring people together or, or uh, crowbar them apart. They spend a month at sea, there's an elimination process, and only one couple gets to the final port. I was talking to the American producers of this uh, in Cannes, and I thought it was quite funny that this show has been made for in both America and in Australia, and it's the same boat. So the boat heads to Australia, full of the Australian couples. And then once it gets there, they've flown the Americans to Australia. Uh, <laughs> the Americans take the boat back. Uh, which is quite funny. I hope they did a very, very thorough cleaning of the boat in between. <laughs> 
But uh, I think it's an interesting operation, not only for the production part, but because you know better than me, there are this trend of the reboot. There are lots of reboots of all formats, and it's quite boring. And uh, the real life bot, uh, it's something uh, original because they can use the same flavor, but uh, making something new, hmm. something original. So it's a very yeah. clever uh, operation, in my opinion. So we're going to go on to social experiments next. But speaking of social, on the social side of these markets, like what is it like uh, when you're not necessarily just going from plan meeting to plan meeting, but just, just meeting people socially? I think you've hit on something there, David, really, which is the, the chance meeting. I always think the best meetings at these markets are the chance meetings. The people you didn't plan to see, the people you haven't seen for ages, the people you don't know yet. I had two particularly good chance meetings at this market. One was somebody I did know, but was behind me in the queue, and I hadn't noticed her until she said hello, um, and we are now doing a project together. Um, mm -hmm. And the second one was a lunch that I went to, which was organised by Northern Ireland Screen, uh, which was a lovely buffet lunch, and I listened to the speeches and watched the promo, and that was all lovely and great. Um, sat down to the buffet and found one of the few people I knew to sit next to. She introduced me to somebody else uh, who who turned out to be the managing director of a, of a, of a big animation company. Um, and we're now in talks about doing some work together. Uh, neither of those things would or could have happened online. You had to be in the in the same place at the same time there for similar kind of reasons and with an open mind uh, and interested in what the other person does for a living. Axel, do you encourage your students to go to, not necessarily MIPCOM, but like maybe lower level events or, or industry meeting? Yes, absolutely, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the MIP TV, just before the, the pandemic, uh, organized a contest for a student, for media students. It was a very clever initiative. Students can apply, sending sending a pitch and the winner can uh, enter for free in the the market and uh, look around and speaking uh, with people and i encourage my uh, my student to do it did we did we didn't win but anyway the university paid for the student uh, the 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 MIP TV tickets and it was a really really great experience for for them and also for for, for us so uh we'll try to find out the way to do also other of this initiative mm. yeah i mean you're absolutely right axel i remember going to my first market in about 2007 and it was a a real eye-opener to understand that content that I did that I created was only one very small part of an ecosystem content is still king without the ideas and the the originality there's nothing else but I came away having a completely different idea about what I was making and why I was making it and what it was for yeah yeah okay well uh, let's move on to social experiments then so Anything that you caught your eye in that category? The first one is Rise and Fall from Studio Lambert. So this is apparently based on a book I read many years ago by J.G. Ballard called High Rise. And it's not dissimilar also to the Korean movie Parasite, if you've seen that, 
which itself has inspired some reality shows like The Bloody Game that we, we talked about in previous podcasts. You've got a, a tower block or a, or a condominium tower. The contestants are divided into haves and have-nots. The haves live at the top and the have-nots live at the bottom. And obviously at the top they're in luxury penthouse in the bottom they're in a horrible basement they compete in challenges but in those challenges the people at the top have all the power they have all the agency and so they basically decide what's going to happen in the challenges the people at the bottom are in the business of trying to get the favor of the people at the top in order to try and rise up the tower effectively so it's a big social experiment game and it and as I remember from the original book, it was somewhat of an accident which condominiums people had bought as to where they were in the tower, but their physical height up the tower sort of invested them with power. They could drop things on people below them. <laughs> there was a Spanish film called The Platform. There's various things like that that happen in that film as well. Yeah, so it's it's got a kind of visual representation of society. Studio Lambert are very good at this kind of observational reality show. You know, they make Gogglebox and you know many many other programs, but you know it's all in the casting and it's all in the. You know, it could be a very straightforward kind of reality crash, but I suspect that the result will be a lot more uh, subtle and interesting than that. I would like to point out a Belgian format. Uh, from uh, B Entertainment, and in my opinion, was the, one of the most touching of uh, this market. It's called uh, Out of Office. Five uh, individuals with uh, burnouts, so they are really bored about, uh, you know, working office, uh, you know, routine, etc., are brought together and uh, they work uh, in a farm. And it's okay, but there's an additional level because they have to work with unexpected colleagues and these colleagues are uh, people with uh, disabilities. They are so enthusiastic, so full of life, so full joyful that's a kind of uh, medicine for these, uh, you know, stressed uh, individuals and uh, they literally reborn with this six-month experience. And uh, at the end, they have to decide if to continue with the farm life or to return to the, the old uh, lifestyle. Some scenery is really touchful, including, uh, inclusive, without rhetorical, with no rhetorical at all. That's yeah. very important. Yes, yeah, so that, that format is part of a trend of people re-evaluating their jobs, their work-life balance after the pandemic, which I think we've all done to a certain extent. There's two formats that are um, creepily similar. One's called My New Mystery Job, um, and the other one is called The Big Job Switch. Yeah. Again, you've got people who are, who are burnt, burnt out and they commit to actually quit their jobs uh, for, in one case, three months, the other case, six months. And they don't know what they're signing up to. And then there's obviously these experts who decide uh, what their new life and their new job will be based on the whole series of evaluations. And they don't know what that is until they turn up for their first day of work. So you might be a lawyer who's going to be a shepherd um, or a sales executive is going to be an undertaker or whatever it might be. So the cameras then follow them trying to do their new jobs. And at the end of it, again, they need to decide 
whether they stick or spin, basically. So very much in the same kind of area, but I, I, I do a kind of agree with Axel that actually the content of the, uh, the Belgian show is more interesting and more real in many ways. You know, the concert of a new life, new values uh, is uh, really, really strong in the, this uh, post-pandemic area. And the BBC are about to start a, a new show called Hire Me, which is interesting because I remember a show eight or ten years ago, which was very, very similar of offering a job to three or four young people and then saying you know, whoever's the best at these tasks will then be, get, get given the real job at the end of it. So that doesn't strike me as a terribly new idea. Mm. The other social experiment that I spotted was also from Belgium. Belgium actually <laughs> popped up quite a lot, I think. Um, it's yeah. called Justice in Jail. It's coming out next year. They've taken six highly placed officials in the in the Belgian justice system and put them into prison. People like the Secretary of State for Justice, a, a judge, a prison officer. So all people who are actually involved uh, very actively in the system. And they're locked up in jail, each with an ex-convict. And each of these convicts has been convicted for offences from uh, fraud to armed robbery to murder. And they all have to follow the same strict prison regime. And that's pretty much it that we know about. The social experiment is obviously not only what happens and what is it like for the people to actually experience the prison system from the inside, but also the conversations they have in the long, boring lock-up time too. So it will very much depend on casting again, but it's also, uh, I think, uh, quite an intelligent way of tackling what's a very hot topic at the moment. So we shall move on to our next section, which is factual entertainment. Now, I did a math degree, so this next title is very exciting for me. So it's called Zero Sum Game. <laughs> so Axel, you're telling me this is some sort of like hot mathematical uh, format that you're going to tell me about? No, it's very, very simple, actually. It's a Korean game. Ten players are around in a camp for seven days. And they have just one aim, to maintain the sum of their weight exactly the same. They don't have to become, you know, fatter or lose not even a gram. <laughs> I have to see a whole episode, because now I, I can judge, of course, the concept is really original, very original. I don't know if it can hold, you know, a whole, a whole series about it. For a moment, we can say that something uh, original, strange uh, and uh, weird. Is it so that the, there are some people who are technically underweight who have to try and gain weight and people who are overweight who have to lose it? No, 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 no. They don't have not to lose uh, or not to add weight. They have to maintain. So do you are weight uh, when you enter uh, the, the very first days and you, for example, have uh, 80 kilos and uh, 303 uh, gram, okay? And you have to maintain for seven days exactly this weight. What's important is that they have to do a lot of physical tasks. Yes. Which could potentially shed pounds and they also are given a lot of food and drink as well yeah and so they have to balance these two these two issues in order not to to maintain the same uh, weight so you've got another uh, 
weight-based format as well. Yes, a German, a German, yes, it was also uh, quite popular, you know, the weight format. That's because we all put on weight during the pandemic, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. This is the German one, as uh, only on, on a paper, not uh, not on air yet. Okay. So also in this case, it's difficult to judge, you know, the, the world format in itself. It's called Worth the Weight. So in this case, a whole uh, overweight family try to lose weight for their health, first of all, but also for money, because they gain euros for each kilos they lose. Okay, and Justin, what about you? I spotted uh, two formats. One uh, is called Hold the Front Page, which is for by CPL Productions for Sky Max in the UK. You could say that this is a format designed to try and save an industry because local news in many, many countries is suffering very badly um, as a result of digital news and, and instant news and so on. What they do is they send two celebrities around the country and they spend a week in, in a different town or village and they're basically reporters and their job is to find local news that is going to make the front page. So they need to interview, they need to look for scoops, but at the same time try and bring out the flavour of what makes a local news front page, because it's not the same. It, it, sometimes it can be about a politician who's you know weighs the same as a jar of sweets or or it could be you know some massive flood it could be all sorts of different things the other one also involves people wandering around the country in this case a host it's called the time traveler's guidebook this is a german format and i think this is rather sweet Basically, the host is given a guide, a, a historical guide, so a guidebook from the past, but goes to visit the places in the guidebook in the present. So some of what was there in the past is still there. Some of it is gone. You know, there's been some uh, amazing history or some very dark history that's happened in the, in the meantime because you know, the town's been flattened or invaded or whatever it might be. So they've got to try and find their way around using the old guidebook, but it's a way of exploring history uh, with the present. Ah, interesting. I miss this format. I miss this format. Please send me the, the link. I will, I will see. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Now, the, the, the last one I pointed out in this market is uh, Finnish. From my point of view, is the uh, Finnish format, the save date. And uh, there are uh, four single women have just three months to find their perfect match, but the most important thing is to marry with that. So they have a limited amount of time, just three months, to find their man, perfect man, and to convince them to get married in this time. So it's quite, uh, also in this case, the story is uh, interesting, it's, it's uh, fun, there's a uh, romantic, uh, you know, nuance, uh, and uh, something also unexpected, so... Yeah, that's that. I, I, like, I, like, I like the title, Say the Day, it's a great title, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So my last one, as well, is called Finders Keepers. Now, this is a game show, and it's quite strange that both Axel and I looked at the market and we neither of us particularly found or were interested in any game show hopefully because of the way that trends are cyclical that at the next market it'll be all game shows but there really wasn't much 
to to get excited about the only one and you know hey we're back in belgium again (laughs) (laughs) um is a show called finders keepers so the idea of this it's a just a half hour show um a family have a chance to win a lot of money a hundred thousand euros which has been hidden by the production team around the house and they've got 30 minutes to find as much of it as possible and whatever they find they can keep now, what I think was very clever with this format was that I've seen these kind of hiding shows before, particularly in, in Japan, but it's usually the family that are doing the hiding. And I think a very sensible decision was to give that job to, if you like, professional entertainment people, because that yeah. is the joke. And so you want to do that joke as well as you possibly can. So they put this money in things like sealed packets of cereal or inside apparently unopened bottles of wine. They they fit it into the kids' game console. They build false walls. There's a brilliant scene in, in the promo where simply they, they put it in the bathroom, but they've locked the bathroom. And the dad says that's very interesting because the bathroom doesn't have a lock on it. And in the end, all he can do is to find an axe and <laughs> take the door down. <laughs> it's his only way in. It is sort of like the shining, you know, it's uh, in his own house. It's very funny. I agree. It's really, really fun because sometimes they have to destroy the, their own house. Yeah, they do. Because it could be hidden into the, the wall, literally. Exactly, so. yeah. Uh, so it, it does get, kind of get more and more and more. And they also have some things. They have a, a paint bomb, which is quite funny. So they go into the bedroom and the money is on the bed but the money is surrounded by this paint bomb, basically. So if they take the money, they set off the bomb, which covers the room in blue paint. So they have to decide if it's worth it or not. So it's it's fun, and it, it's just... I think it's one of those um, kind of co-viewing shows. I think it could sit really well, in the, say, in the UK, uh, sort of Saturday tea time. It can be ramped up, it can be ramped down. Uh, the size of the prize is adjustable as well so and you know it doesn't require a a studio so you know of all the rather tired ideas for game shows that there were i think actually and i both agree that that was the one that we were that we thought you know i I, i'd like to see that again i'd even like to make it why do you think that game shows are not landing so much because if if i look down my list of shows that have been commissioned in the last couple of years the number that i actually got a recommission is extraordinarily low right now the churn is incredible mm. why why do you think new formats are not landing in the way that the old ones have uh, in my opinion for the game show there is a, a kind of a big break between the pre-pandemic uh, and the post-pandemic area uh, because uh, core of the game show are studio-based game shows and now, for the moment, people don't want to be too much into the studios. So they're looking for something, uh, you know, on location, like Finder Keepers, exactly. But as you told you, there's something cycle. So maybe after a few months uh, after return. Yeah. But in this case, I think there's a, a kind of big break. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there was a break. I think part of that break was that during the pandemic, when drama and things couldn't be made, uh, a lot of shows were commissioned because we could get back into studio. Yeah, I, th- I think exactly, a lot of game yeah. shows were commissioned that really shouldn't have been. They, they weren't ready. Um, and, you know, every every week there was like another new game show on 
on primetime television. And a lot of them, I think, you know, given more time, would have been uh, much better, but they just weren't frankly good enough. And I think the other thing also, which I think is also cyclical, is that we are in a golden age of drama at the moment, and game shows just don't feel like they're, they're living up to them in a way. But I, my friend Dick Dereich, who created Deal or No Deal, always used to say to me when I asked him what I should be developing, he said, look for the most unpopular genre and yes. develop that, because by the time you've done it, it will be the most popular one. And I think that's very clever suggestion. Very clever suggestion. <laughs> I've always said it's a bit like surfing. You, you, what you do is you look out to the sea and look out for the, the little waves that are in the distance. Because by the time you've got in your surfboard and you started paddling, that, that <laughs> wave is now a big wave. And you, hopefully, if you catch it at the right time, you're either leading the wave or at least keeping pace with it. Excellent. So, um, yeah, very good. Good. So, are there any sort of other general observations about the market? The last thing. I've seen lots of nice formats on the market, but not big formats. Mm. I notice a, a kind of lack of ambitions. Formats are nice, but a bit small. I think you should be start to think in big, a bit more ambitious. I agree with that entirely. I mean, it's been a few years now where people at the market have said, you know, where is the next big thing? Everyone's looking for the next big thing and it just isn't there. And it may be that because we live in such a fragmented media world now and people are, are shopping for things to watch in so many different places, it's actually quite difficult to think of something that would serve everybody that was definitely lacking and anybody who can come up with the next big ambitious affordable idea for the next market i think will make a splash actually i mentioned in my introduction to your newsletter um so do you want to just explain a little bit about what it is and why you started it thank you first of all uh, i started exactly in one year ago and uh, i've started it for my students, to, to expose my students to international formats. And uh, then I thought, uh, why don't also to spread also to, to other people? This is called the Friday Expresso, because uh, I publish uh, each Friday. And there are just three most interesting uh, news about formats of the, of the week. And there are for two groups of people. People who don't know about formats because they don't have, uh, you, know, the, you know, the possibility to know about formats. And for people who have uh, too many information. <laughs> and from uh, all genre of, uh, you know, drama, kids, etc. And so I try to summarize what's interesting in the week. And also I think some uh, a small comment, so suggestion or ideas. Uh... And this is something that everybody can subscribe to for free? Yeah, yes, it's all for free. It's all for free, absolutely. So you can find, uh, you just Click the bottom, uh, at the bottom of the newsletter and you find it. That's great. Well, Axel, really pleased that you've been able to join us. And thanks very much indeed for adding your insights uh, to our MIP Roundup. Thanks for joining us. 
and thank you to you for invitation and sorry for my for my English. I'm not used to speak. I can write better than I speak, but uh, it's was... it's it's better than my Italian. So uh, yeah. I think it was just the best okay. way around of doing it. <laughs> okay, okay, brilliant. So, thank you very much. And that's it for this time. But Justin and myself will be back soon with a regular episode of TV Show and Tell. Until then, thanks for listening.